Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who was, who is, and who is to come, the Almighty. As I mentioned, this is a series on tough questions, questions I received from you over Easter Sunday. And the first question we're talking about is a great one to talk about in the season of Easter. The question is, why has Jesus taken so long to return? And and one person even referenced, well, why didn't he return during World War II or the Holocaust? And, And those are great questions, especially when we consider how often Jesus has promised to come back soon. And three times in Revelation 22, the last words we hear from Jesus in all of Scripture, in the last chapter of Scripture, three separate times in Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am coming soon. In addition to that, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, we're told that the coming of Jesus is close at hand. Once again, in James chapter 5, verse 8, we read that the coming of Jesus is close at hand. So we hear all this talk about the nearness of his return and how soon it will be. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later, after all those things have been said and written and still no Jesus, just us spinning around on this sinful little boat. (laughs) When will he come back and why hasn't he come back yet? Well, the first question we might want to ask is, Is he still going to come back? Is he still going to come back? And for that, we can look to the signs of his return, and we find these signs in Matthew chapter 24. I'm not going to list all of them, but but here are a few. One, there are many who will fall away. Many will be deceived by false prophets. There will be earthquakes and famines on the earth. There will be wars and rumors of wars. It says that the love of many will grow cold love of many will grow cold. I mean, we could harp on any one of those signs and talk a long time about any of them, but I would say that for our time now, if there's any certain sign of Jesus' return that's in the list I just read to you, it was that last one. The love of many will grow cold. We've seen natural affections break down. Natural relationships that should on their own be loving completely fall apart. We've seen the rhetoric around abortion be more about a woman's power than about a child's life. Basic relationship like that. But also we've seen the elderly carted off into nursing homes and never visited again by family or friends, completely abandoned and alone. Not even to mention the way that we deal with mental health, the stigma, the fear, and no care almost. It can seem that way. Love of many has indeed grown cold, and here we are. Great sign that it's the end. As we go forward, though, we shouldn't be surprised at any of the things we've seen on that list. I mean, earthquakes and famines and wars and rumors of wars and false prophets and people falling out of faith and into unbelief. Well, that's been going on for forever. And you might wonder, what's the uniqueness of those things? Why would those things be a sign of Jesus' return? I mean, this stuff was happening before Jesus came, all all the way since the very beginning, and that's kind of the point. When Adam sinned, he brought in the power of death into this world. Creation was broken at that moment. And while the Old Testament isn't the end times, we certainly see 
from even in Genesis at the very beginning, the need for an end, the need for Christ's return, the need for restoration of the whole world. So it shouldn't surprise us now that it seems like evil continues to march on unbounded. And it also shouldn't surprise us that if there are generations after us before Christ returns, that they would be more wicked than the ones before. It's not that one generation is certainly more rebellious than the other. It's that each generation is bearing the culmination of our sin and our evil and our parents' sin and their evil and and our grandparents' sin and evil and so on and so forth going back to the time of Adam. And so as we look at these things and we see them in faith, we certainly say, yes, Jesus is coming. The signs are abundant. But even if that doesn't do it for you, you're still wondering, is he still coming at all? What really everything hinges upon is this. Christ told his disciples that he must suffer at the hands of men and on the third day rise again. And God did not abandon his son to the grave, but rose him up out of the grave that his gospel might be preached to the ends of the earth. This Jesus vindicated by his father. His word came true. As is every other word, every other prophecy he has spoken. And so it will be also with this one, that he will indeed return, that the end will indeed come, and it will be the end that he brings. But there's still a whole lot wonder about. I mean, how bad are these signs going to get? How, how bad is the world going to get? How many more World War II's or Holocaust are we going to face? And yet, as we wonder with, about those questions, we, we know that there's this other thing going on. We know that the kingdom of heaven is near. And, and, and one day, all of a sudden, we'll be brought to the throne room before the Lamb with people from every tribe and every nation, and you and I and all who believe in Christ, all who've been baptized into his name and have received his spirit, all of those will receive a white robe to symbolize their righteousness and given a palm branch in their hands to wave before the throne and the Lamb and to cheer his name and praise in loud chorus. As we shout for joy, we'll also gasp for breath so we can sing the next words of the hymn of praise. That will be our state. We will stand there before the Lamb, and somehow, though we've never been there before, though it's hard to picture, though we've never seen it, that place where we will be will be home, and we'll know it. We'll have a permanence about it that nothing on this earth has. There'll be safety, security, and above all else, peace. When we appear before the throne, before the Lamb, when we are raised to new life on that last day, words like death, terror, fear, anxiety, depression, shame, guilt, all those words will have no place in our vocabulary at all anymore. I wonder if we will even use them after that point. So then, again, how soon is soon? When can we have that? When can we have that? Does it ever bother you that Jesus says, I'm going to return soon? 
And then later, Matthew chapter 24, he also says, nobody knows the day or the hour when the Father, or nobody knows the day or the hour, but only the Father knows. So in one hand, Jesus is saying, oh, it's going to be soon. And the next, he's saying, I don't know. <laughs> It'll be soon. I don't know. And so we get caught between this. What does Jesus mean by soon? Well, maybe we're hearing soon the wrong way. I mean, the way we use soon might be a little bit different. For example, if you're calling somebody and they're 20 minutes late to something, they'll say, I'll be there soon, right? And really what, what they mean when they say soon is, I just woke up, I overslept, and I'm getting out of bed. Don't act like you don't do that. You do that. You do that. I'll be there soon, sure. Our focus is so much on time. Maybe when Jesus says soon, he means something else. Here's what I mean. Also in Matthew chapter 24, he talks about how it was in the days before the flood came. You have this generation that was wicked. Noah was building the ark. They had many signs and warnings that the end was coming. They had time, lots of time, a whole lot of time. And they continued on, eating and drinking as they always had. And then suddenly, the heavens opened up and the floods came. Perhaps when we hear the word soon, maybe it's sudden. When Jesus is talking about his return, he'll talk about how sudden it will come. Perhaps we're not aware of how close the kingdom of heaven is to us and how little it would take for Jesus to suddenly come back and make everything new and raise the dead and judge the wicked and reward the righteous. Maybe, maybe it's a lot closer than we think and maybe it's far more sudden than we could possibly know. In fact, the book of Revelation kind of does this little thing that I, that I find interesting. The book of Revelation will have some of the scariest and darkest pictures of what the future might hold. Famine sweeping out a third of the earth. Plagues doing the same thing. And then, in the middle of it, there are these interludes where we see some of the most beautiful pictures of, of the resurrection of the new heavens, of the new earth, of heaven itself brought before us and what sweet comfort that brings. So we go from, from really bad to incredibly good to really bad to incredibly good in the book of Revelation. And maybe that's St. John keeping that vision in front of us that while we suffer here and now and while things are dark for us, the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. It is near. And it can come suddenly at any moment. So if it's near and it can happen at any moment, it wouldn't take much for Jesus to come back, then why not already? I can't give you a 100% answer for this. I can only give you what Scripture shares, and, and, and here's just a little bit of that. In Revelation chapter 6, we get this picture of, of the saints gathered together underneath the altar. Not just any saints, but martyrs those who shed their blood for the name of Jesus. And their question is our question. They're asking God in heaven, how long? How long? And God responds to them, until the number of your brothers and sisters gathered here underneath this altar is complete. Until the number of your brothers and sisters gathered underneath this altar is complete. Until the number of martyrs is complete. At that time, and we can only infer that even now, there's still 
some who will shed their blood for the name of Christ. That number isn't complete. Here's what that means for us. That while we wait, and while we're oftentimes heartbroken over the tragedies and atrocities that happen to believers around the world, Jesus Christ is working the power of his church against the power of death, darkness, and the greatest of griefs. Tertullian, an early church father, Tertullian, said that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. This means that from Saudi Arabia to Syria, to Sri Lanka, to North Carolina, to tennis, to Tennessee, to Texas, all of these places where tragedy has struck, where people have shed their blood in senseless violence because of their faith in Christ, all of them, one, know how close that door to heaven is because Christ has thrown it wide open for them and has given them a white robe to symbolize their righteousness and has welcomed them into his home in heaven. And the other part of it is, it means that even now, in the face of such tragedy, the Spirit is working a powerful witness against all grief that Christ will return, that there will be justice, and that there is hope. These who are grieving are proclaiming that, that faith. And out of that proclamation, God continues to grow his church here and now against it all. And there's something else. Jesus tells a story about a farmer who had a wheat field. One night or one morning, his servants wake up, and all of a sudden, there's, there's these weeds mixed in amongst the wheat. And they don't know what to do, so the servants suggest, well, why don't we go ahead and harvest right now? Or why don't I just pull up the weeds, actually? Why don't I just pull up the weeds? And the master warns the servant not to do that. Why? Because if you pull up the weeds, well, then you might get the wheat as well. If you pull up the weeds, you might get the wheat as well. That parable shows us that Jesus now is showing his great patience, his great patience for those who do not yet know him. Because one day they might. One day they might come to him, and one day they might be numbered with us standing at the resurrection. This world is filled with pain. This world is difficult, and there are so many days where we wake up wondering, why is there going to be more of this? Why do I have to do this again? We wake up and our bodies hurt, or we wake up crying because of last night's grief, and we find it's all the same the next day. The fact that Jesus has delayed his return is a painful mercy. It's a difficult mercy. It's difficult because suffering goes on, but at the same time, it is merciful because there are those who do not yet know him. And while his wrath is being poured out on the earth over sin, in far greater measure is his love and patience and mercy being poured out even now. Over 2,000 years, Christ has not lost his, his heart for his lost sheep. So then, what do we do? What do we do while we wait? What do we do while bad news oftentimes comes? Well, we spend our lives standing up against injustices, and there's still a long way to go there. We fight and take spiritual warfare to every kind of evil. When sin is found in us, we eagerly and instantly repent of that sin so that we might be ready for the day of Christ's return. 
could summarize it like this. I'm, I'm paraphrasing from one person who was commenting on Revelation 1 that I read this week. And he said that we can be overcome with woe or we can get back to the mission. We can fix our eyes on Christ and also on those who are committed to our care. Do the work God has called us to do until the day his son returns.